hear the most annoying sound in the world? Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here with Connor and Steve. Yo. Yo. Last week, we had our first interview with the one and only Doc Coyle from Bad Wolves and God Forbid. Uh, me and Steve uh, video it. chatted with him. Yeah. Connor wasn't available. Connor missed yeah. our celebrity day. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it was a cool interview, and, you know, if you didn't catch it last time you know check them out uh doc coils x-man podcast and bad wolves album disobey and vegas nerve so have any of you guys encountered anything new this past week so i'm i'm kind of the aficionado to bring up death metal bands since you know both connor bill i know you're somewhat into it as much but connor not so much um the band is called tomb mold death metal band you know Obviously, if you're into the genre, I recommend this band. But they have an album coming out July 19th. It's called Planetary Clairvoyance. It's good. They're, they released two tracks of it. It's a seven-song LP. It's a really good two songs so far. The album prior to that was really good. I actually find out a lot about these bands through Reddit. Like my, my girl like finds all these crazy like underground death metal bands. And luckily for me, Apple Music somehow manages to put like all these strange bands like on their like Apple oh, that's music crazy. site, so yeah, and it's cool because it releases and then immediately goes on your thing. So the two songs popped up and they're really good. But I recommend the band Two Mold. This isn't my recommendation yet of the week, but that's the new shit I found out. Two Mold, Planetary Clairvoyance comes out July nineteenth. Give it a shot. That's awesome. Um, I found something that was old that I never heard before because I always had like a stigma attached to it. I was like. You know, fucking weirdos listen to this shit. But I heard typo negative, black number one for the first <laughs> time. They have some good shit. Did I'm you not like gonna, it? Yeah, dude, I actually did. I enjoyed it. Because it's weird that you say it that way because I feel the same way sometimes about them. Like, the people that tend to listen to typo negative has, like, poor taste in music. Yeah, and... But I get recommended them by, like, some people where I trust their fucking judgment and I'm still like, eh. They just have, like, a, I don't know, it's like a weird... I don't know. It's got like a weird vibe. What would you relate to them to? Just basically I, to give you an idea. I imagine if like Dracula sung for I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just like they're like they're heavy, but they're like slow and like gothic. I don't know. Like imagine if Dracula sung for Marilyn Manson that wasn't as heavy. I heard a uh, cover typo negative did of Cinnamon Girl by Neil Young, and it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Stop, That's funny. No, but um, I heard him for the first time, and I'm not going to lie. I was uh, I kind of got into him. Some of their stuff I like, yeah. Like uh, Peter Steele's voice. I don't know. Like the whole, like the, what was it? The white, pink. Like I'm not about that, but the other the other parts of that song were pretty cool. So yeah, type of negative black number one. So when you say Dracula, are we talking uh Gary Oldman Dracula, Christopher Lee? Are we talking like Nosferatu from the twenties? What kind of Dracula is singing for this band? I'm curious to know. Like, I don't know, that that whole like cliche vampire like gothic yeah like, like cradle of filth type. Like I'm yeah. going to suck your blood. Is the vocals really like that? I think so, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna have I, to just give it a listen, just cause now. I, I'm telling you, that song it's it's pretty cool. It's catchy. Oh. All right, what I'll do you got, Connor? Yeah. I'm going for an oldie too that I just picked up that I never listened to before. Uh, Fleetwood Mac, Tango in the Night. It's from 1987. Excellent. It's their it's their last album with the like classic lineup with uh, Nicks and Buckingham and McVie and all the good ones. Uh, it's really good. I just, it was like two bucks. I picked it up. Um, Listen to it. I was really impressed that it was that good. Like I figured, cool. I always like knew about the album, but I kind of figured it was like a late '80s like throwaway album, most likely. Yeah. And I never really gave it the time of day, and then I saw it, and I was like, "Hey, I'll, I'll listen to it." And I listened to it, and it was actually really fucking good. It was 
That's like cool. I was like thinking like this really isn't like worse than rumors. Like I mean rumors <laughs> is like more classic, but like it was just as an enjoyable of a listen as rumors. It's not like listening to like Lou Reed's Berlin or some shit. Oh. Like that weird album yeah. that's like released by a great artist, but it's like it should be in the oblivion bin that we talked about last week. What, like Lulu? <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck was that, dude? I heard he received like death threats and all kinds of shit because of that. I you know what? Makes sense. Rest like, in peace, yeah. Lou Reed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On this day in music history. 1956, the family-friendly Steve Allen show doesn't want Elvis Presley shaking his legendary pelvis, so he sings Hound Dog to a Basset Hound. Both Elvis and the dog are dressed in formal wear. <laughs> God damn, that's so <laughs> fucking weird, dude. Dude, How it was a different time back then, the 50s. <laughs> like, that was like the I, devil's music. I, I know, is it, <laughs> this is funny, 1956. You can't be shaking that legendary <laughs> pelvis. If, if, <laughs> if there was a time machine and Miley Cyrus traveled back oh to 1956, God. probably like 28% of the country would like drop dead of heart attacks if she went on television. Oh, oh absolutely. Jesus Could you imagine like just like a 10-second clip of Wrecking Ball? It would be over. Dude. <laughs> they declare a national emergency. So Cardi B at any fucking oh performance hall in the 50s, and Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> fucking seven years later, in 1963, the Beatles released She Loves You, They're one of their big early singles. Um, this is one of the songs that was present in the top five when the Beatles occupied all five positions of the Billboard Hot 100, uh, I believe that's a feat that's still not been done. Again, that's cool. Um, Can't Buy Me Love was number one. Twist and Shout, number two. She Loves You, number three. I Want to Hold Your Hand, number four. Please Please Me, number five. Wow. And three of those five singles hit number one. They just weren't number one that week. Can't that's Buy crazy. Me Love, She Loves You, and I Want to Hold Your Hand. Yeah, as much as I'm not a huge Beatles fan, you still can't deny. Like, yeah, dude, yeah, you have to respect yeah. what they did. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. That shit doesn't happen yeah. anymore. Yeah, they were huge and widely beloved, and, like, the unity that people had in, like, getting together and mutually loving the music of the Beatles was great. But at the same time, we must also look at the help the Beatles had. I'm I'm kind of at, of the opinion that the Beatles really weren't above the other bands that are in that pantheon of untouchableness. So what are you and, saying? Like they well, they had sold George Martin. The devil? They had George Martin, who uh, was a Sonic guru before Sonic gurus existed. Mm-hmm. Um, they had Brian Epstein, who was a full time like business like slave for them who just not slave but you know he he worked for them like yeah. constantly like putting them out there um they they the Lenny McCartney songwriting partnership was publicly traded on the London Stock Exchange by like 1966 or something but that's like, a lot they of things were, in they the were music industry though pumped into them yeah not a lot of people are self-made like that without the help of production companies and producers themselves I mean, the Beatles were just like one of those big first bands on that huge, you know, quote yeah. unquote pop wave. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, you think a lot, a lot of artists that make the top of the Billboard charts, they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the supporting cast. I mean, how many artists out there? Yeah, but what own... I'm saying is the Beatles' supporting cast was far and like wide better than anybody well, because else. That's, that's essentially, business, that's business trait. They made a solid investment in a group that they knew, and look what happened. Blew yeah. the fuck up, you know. I mean, think about well, all the super groups out there that fail because it just turned out to be a poor investment. So, I mean, again, their music still obviously was something to behold because the fans are really the be-all, send-all at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Yeah, but in the early days, it was just it was also just something new and there was really nothing. Yeah, they capitalized. Same thing yeah. with Nirvana. Yeah, but Nirvana didn't have the resources that the Beatles had. That's I mean, true Nirvana too. is yeah. a band that you could hold up and say that they did it in a very DIY. Well, it's also res- the like, 90s. Honestly, there's probably never the been anyone as big as Nirvana that did it as DIY as Nirvana did it. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I agree mean, with that. I mean, I mean, they, nah, I mean, they had a major label when Nevermind came out and blew up. So I guess 
I mean, they had big business help as well. Yeah, but again, it's just different because you figure come the 90s, a lot of shit's already been done. So to come up with that new sound, which is what the Beatles were doing in their time, it's the same thing. Nirvana just capitalized and it was harder for them. So obviously the music had to be more of a say. I mean, Pavement never signed to a major label, but obviously they weren't very successful. Yeah, Pavements, I mean, underground Um, at best most times. They're re- yeah, they're, they're, I mean, I mean, shit. I had Pavement as one of my recommendations for an album, and I think two people recognized it. <laughs> <laughs> shit, dude. <laughs> um, yeah, there's really just not a lot of bands that. But, but all I'm saying is, the Beatles had an extraordinary amount yeah, of help. A, yeah, of course. You know yeah. What I'm saying, but anyway, we can move. We have to rage against the mainstream sometimes here, and it's not popular opinion that the Beatles don't deserve every ounce of accolades that have been heaped upon I agree. them over the well, past century. I would still say they're super overrated. Yeah, there we go. So we don't even need to argue about this. 1966, Bob Dylan releases "Blonde on Blonde," Rock's first double album. It included uh, Bob Dylan classics like "Rainy Day Woman," "Just Like a Woman," "Stuck Inside of Mobile" with the Memphis Blues again. Business of Joanna. <laughs> Yeah, Visions of Johanna. Um, That's my favorite album by Bob. Yeah, it's probably my favorite. That one or Highway. Highway. Yeah. Um, Blood on the Tracks is really good. Don't own Blood on the Tracks, actually. You don't like it? I don't own it. You like Bring It All Back Home, I think it's called. I do have Bring It All Back Home. I like that one. Blonde on Blonde, though, is just the whole album is really fucking good. Yeah. Every, Every song on that album. See, that's an album where... In contrast to the Beatles, not to bring them up again, but that was just individuals coming together to play on Bob Dylan's record. You know, that's a different thing. Yeah. But five years later, in 1971, Jethro Tull's Aqualung album is certified gold. 500,000 copies sold in the (laughs) U.S. of A. What is this, like 30 or 20 years before they beat Metallica out for I a Grammy? I knew it was going to get brought I, I knew it was coming, I was too. looking at you, and as soon as you opened your mouth, I just heard Is Metallica that the only reason Jethro Tull was on music history? Oh, uh, Metallica. Maybe. No, Aqualung is yeah. a pretty important record, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess. I never liked Jethro Tull, so I don't I mean, I have either. Are you either. fucking Ian Anderson up there with the flute? That shit's, that shit's hardcore, bro. They're not bad. It's just not my nah, cup of tea. Thick as a Brick is a really good album. Probably. I mean, the song Aqualung is pretty good, too. 1986, Misfits issue their second compilation album, commonly referred to by fans as Collection One, although the album is just self-titled. Um, a lot of these songs hadn't been released yet at this time, especially the ones off of uh, Static Age, if I'm not mistaken. Well, there was a lot of stuff off of Static Age, Earth AD. Um, well, Earth AD Lug- was out, right? Yeah, because this has like Green Hell on it, Devil Lock, Death Comes Ripping, but it also had Horror Business, Where Eagles Dare, um, London yeah, Dungeon. Eagles Dare Ghouls- probably wasn't available anywhere. It wasn't. At all that's before. the only thing it's available on. But uh, Ghouls was, Night Out is on this. Was there like a Static Age EP or something there that was, had some of those? The Bullet EP? Was that what it the was? The Bullet EP came out. Prior, obviously, but a lot they of didn't those, release that Static like, Age yeah, until '96. Like she on it that had a lot okay. of stuff that was all on Static Age, but this so this had, is probably like the Bullet EP, the songs that are on here. No, because even the Bullet EP had songs that were on Static Age. I know, but this this had songs that weren't found anywhere else. Horror business, you couldn't find that anywhere else. Ghouls Night Out, London Dungeon was on a live track, but it was the first time it was released through here. Um, yeah, Where Eagles Dare is the only place you can find this. But yeah, then it has like Vampira, I Turned Into a Martian, okay. Skulls. She is from Legacy of Brutality, Hollywood no. Babylon, Bullet, or from the Bullet EP. Yeah, they're all in Static Age. Um, horror Business and Teenagers from Mars are from the Horror Business EP. Yeah. Yeah. This was all like a collection of stuff that you couldn't find really. And then they came out with that second one like years later that was just called Collection 2. But yeah, I mean, obviously there's a mention on this day, something related to the Misfits. Yeah, I wasn't going to. Here we go. Yeah, this is becoming a joke. Like we brought them up like every episode. No, this, well, is a this joke. episode has been like. Four and Metallica times. covered Green Hell and Die Die My Darling. 
Okay. And then in 2008, a major jump later, we had Jim Class Heroes lead singer Travi McCory assaulting a fan who shouted a racial slur just as their set finished the warp tour in St. Louis. He was well within his rights. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're on stage, you pretty much get to do whatever the hell you want. Like, pretty much, yeah. They're there to see you. Yeah. You got to show some respect, let alone, dis- the, like, yeah, obviously, they, you get to the disrespecting realm, you're going to get schooled. Yeah, especially when it's something like that, like shooting a racial slur out. Like, are you kidding me? I mean, Tom Morello just kicked a phone or something, or threw a phone out in the audience. He, he invited fans up. I'm kind of with Tom Morello on this, not just because of our name, but... Um, <laughs> Tom Morello invited a number of fans up on stage to like dance i think yeah and basically i saw party the video while they were playing a song and he said like okay guys bringing you up don't take a selfie with me while i'm playing I someone did just that he took the phone really quick and just tossed it in the audience and then people are blowing up saying he's a douchebag and everything and it's like i don't think he's a douchebag but he probably shouldn't have threw the phone Fuck yeah, I would have thrown the phone. I would have thrown the phone. Because you got to think the moment of dread only, like you specifically told these people. Now, granted, from the dude who took it, he probably didn't care about the consequences because that selfie's going to last a lifetime. That's true, too. But if at the same exact time, phone. you literally just told these people, do not take a picture, and you just like blatantly disrespected well, what I said. And Plus, he didn't you're even at my say, don't show. take a picture. He said, don't get right up in my face. Oh, so he wasn't even like. Yeah, he was like right up on him. I mean, yeah, yeah, like while he's trying yeah. to play the fucking Fuck song. That, dude. Yeah. I agree with it, but I also I disagree with it too. I mean, the dude obviously had an iPhone. It's a thousand dollars. Who phone. gives a fuck, dude? You know, this is that? I don't know. This is the participation trophy era. That kid fucking took an L. That's it. Sorry, go get a new phone. Yeah, I guess I don't know. Mommy and daddy probably bought you those tickets anyway. You can go out and get an Android this no, time that, and lose your no, fucking that, sense that of self-respect. That dude was obviously old enough to know what he should and shouldn't be doing. Yeah, but he's still Honestly, I had an Android for two years. I just went back to iPhone. Missing the Android. The only good thing about the iPhone in comparison to the Android is the recording when I'm jamming. Like mm-hmm. the recording on the iPhone's a million times better, but everything else on the Android is easier. This message Connor. has been brought to you by Galaxy S ten. <laughs> Connor's opinion now. on the Android phone does not reflect our personal views upon Apple I'm Corporation. Apple all the way. Oh fuck. <laughs> I forgot we're on Apple Music. All right. A year later, in two thousand nine. Following the worldwide event that was Michael Jackson's death the previous week, he becomes the first act to sell more than one million song downloads in a week. That's, That's crazy. Huge when you think of 2009. Yeah. Like now, it might not be so crazy to sell a million downloads in a week. Yeah. Because everybody is buying their music online. Well, mm-hmm. really, now it's streaming. So it probably would be crazy again to sell a million. Sh- songs in a week because most people were just listening to it but you get points for that so i guess that would factor in yeah um like billboard counts streaming plays as like bot downloads or something yeah because now. they always release articles on how many time a song was streamed and that gives credibility i mean yeah. essentially so i mean we're moving into a point in time now to where they have to recognize these kind of things i mean well yeah not yeah. everyone's going out to best buy to buy a cd yeah like best record sales are like a joke cds left that's why even um when when we went and fucking saw Lamb of God and all of them, and yeah. Amanda Moore specifically even said like mentioned about the merchandise because yep. that's how they're making their money now is touring yeah, exactly. and merchandise. I mean, it's always been that way. I mean, you always made more money on merch and uh, touring, of course, mm-hmm. but now it's becoming prominent because well, now that's all yeah, because you now you're not getting yeah. album sales. Nope. And I think the uh, the Spotify thing it it's nothing. Yeah, you get like pennies. Like yeah. a fraction of a penny. I think per I saw play. an article per where play? like a cake yeah. song got played like two or three million times, and they made like uh, fifteen dollars or something. Yeah, like I heard like yeah. Pharrell's "Happy" was at the time was, was like, like the, the, the highest played, yeah. yeah, the highest stream song, and he literally made nothing. He pro- yeah, he probably made like because well, you figure what you pay monthly for Spotify, yeah, for he didn't Apple make music, shit. yeah, and you can yeah. just you know, I I mean, I, I think that there's some flaws within the Spotify, you know. Uh, monetary system it, it's not it's not good for the artist no for sure. not at all it's, it's certainly not as favorable well, as to the artist from the as fans, the old I mean. physical format uh i mean and what's their was. incentive you know like before it was like you know for instance you get like a dollar per unit sold you know um 
Well, yeah, downloads. Sells 90 million copies. Yep. That's 90 million fucking uh, dollars. Yeah. You know, now it's like, oh, you get a fraction of a fucking penny every time someone listens to someone it. Someone listens to your shit. For free, basically. Exactly. I would, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's something you have to look into with the numbers because you figure, like, for I mean, instance, you pay $10 tool. a month to listen to hundreds of songs. Yeah. Yeah, but then you think about certain artists, like, for instance, when I was just bringing it up, like, Tool's not on Spotify or Apple Music. So mm-hmm. obviously and they you have still to be- see their CDs. Of because course, they still make them. Of course, because Garth that's Brooks. The only way you he's can get another one. Shit. He's not on any of them. Garth Brooks is. He's not even on YouTube. Oh wow! You can't find a Garth yeah, Brooks song you can, on YouTube. Um, well, yeah, Tool, you can kind of, but I mean, you figure what is like the Beatles like aren't on YouTube. Bob Dylan's not on YouTube. You really? Can't listen to like songs by Bob Dylan unless oh, it's wow. like some weird live track of them or something that was recorded. Um, but yeah, you, I would like to look at the numbers to see if like these bands are getting kickbacks from the company to sign up to be on their site. Because you figure, yeah. like for instance, I'm like, in like a cash a sh- advance almost. Yeah, because yeah. you figure I'm in a sharing program and there's three of us that use the same Apple account that's paid mm. with one lump sum a month. Exactly. But it's split three ways. So there's three of us and I can literally download and stream anything at any time. Mm-hmm. But it's again, like do the artists on these sites make a like any type of money really? Probably well, on no. there. It's okay for artists who are already developed and have already had careers and made a shit ton of money when times were good. It's not good for new artists who are trying to build their shit up. You know what I mean? That's why everybody's on fucking SoundCloud now to try to get recognition. Mm -hmm. Subscribe, Mm -hmm. subscribe. Then eventually they move the pod bean. Yeah. Music news. Today in music news, we have our favorite frontman, Corey Taylor, blew out his left testicle while working on high notes. It's saying here that Slipknot vocalist Corey Taylor took to Twitter to share some news that had left many surprised, shocked, and a bit confused. According to Taylor, he blew out his left testicle while working on some high notes. Taylor posted the unfortunate news saying... Working on my 87 docking high notes this morning. Fucked around and blew out the left testicle. Careful on re-entry, kids. Hashtag kiss of death. Kiss of death. Hashtag piss in blood. Just a quick disclaimer. Uh, Corey Taylor's not my favorite front man. But I'm not going to deny he's a good vocalist. However, this is pure dedication right here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude. like, I want to know if that's... Uh, like. It's saying here they're not entirely sure if he's 100% serious, but I mean, I've heard of like crazy shit happening, like um, uh, that one Rolling Stones song, it's just a, the, it's just a shout away or something, you know, that, oh, give lady, me shelter, give me shelter, there we go, that lady that was singing that song had a miscarriage afterwards well, because she, of the high notes that she, she was hitting. She attributed that to the high notes? Yeah. She was pregnant when she sang that shit? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Damn. You gotta be chilling. When the Rolling Damn. Stones call, you have to... Answer, yeah, dude. Pregnancy yeah. is no thing. You know, Rolling Stones call. <laughs> but um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if he's one hundred percent serious. I would like to know if that's like a possibility. I'm sure it is. You think so? I'm sure it is. I mean, I I guess you can get like a hernia. Or I mean, whatever. what type of uh, depend? Yeah, I guess I I can't confirm or deny to have any wealth of information on this topic. To yeah, I, I don't really have talking uh, about the strenuous activities of in, singing eighty-seven you know. and high notes, but. <laughs> I mean, don't plan on blowing out any testicles near coming anywhere near. So, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I just I don't know. I don't see how it would be possible. I mean, maybe like pulling like a fucking muscle and getting hernia or something, but blowing up a testicle. The only time I've ever heard of that happening was some kid got hit with a little crossball and it blew his fucking nuts up. So what are you saying that this is a conspiracy? I I think it might be fake. You think Courtney Love is responsible? No, Billy Corgan. Billy Corgan. Courtney Love was CIA. <laughs> anyway. All right. Next thing we got here is uh, a Whitney Houston, get ready, Steve, hologram tour Jesus and God. new album in the works seven years after her death. New album? Yeah, I wonder how they're going to get the hologram to sing like her. It's crazy. Um, it's saying here the pop icons estate has partnered with Base B-A-S-E hologram to produce an evening with Whitney, the Whitney Houston hologram tour. Um, the announcement comes on the heels of a separate deal between the singer's estate and primary wave publishing, 
which is also expected to produce a series of new projects, including a new album, a possible Broadway musical, and Vegas-style spectacle. Uh, Whitney Houston was unquestionably one of the most important singers of any generation, Bass Hologram CEO Brian Becker said in a statement. This show will include master recordings of the late singer and feature a live band and backup singer. I get it now. Corey Taylor. Start, you guys practicing. seen the one Black Mirror episode when... Uh, do you watch Black Mirror? Yeah, I didn't. I, not of the new season yet. <laughs> Did you see the one where the, the girl goes to the uh, the Museum of Bad Shit in the desert or whatever, and the dude who got wrongfully convicted or whatever, it was like, you could pay to like electrically electrically shock his sentient hologram no i didn't see that one it's just no. starting to remind me of that let's <laughs> check that out i wonder what the whole like spike is with the whole hologram thing money you think so yeah well i, I mean yeah there's money in all those big icons of i mean it's like i said with music. the whole um Dio thing when we mentioned it prior I mean it's one thing to hear the mm. songs like in the privacy of your room or even at a bar or, like with your friends but like to go to a concert setting and you kind of get at least the atmosphere of if you had seen that artist live it is kind of cool I mean? they're so bringing in live bands into the equation yeah exactly and to I make it feel more of like a live environment and as I was going to say now it makes sense like Backup if I saw singers. Dave Grohl and Chris Novosel looking at Kurt Cobain hologram and they were a live band it might not be too bad I'm going to go on the record to say Corey Taylor blew out his left nut trying out to be a backup singer here for Whitney Houston. <laughs> but Kirk, Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic would probably fetch a hefty sum that I don't know if I'm willing to pay for a hologram. I mean, Dave like, Grohl fetches a hefty sum. We say this all the time. How much would you pay for a hologram Nirvana show? With Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic in the flesh? And Pat. And Pat? Mm-hmm. And- 60 with fees. For the lawn. So like $89 if you were off. No, no, 60 with total. fees. Oh, all total. together. So 60 solid. Done. Yeah. I, don't, I feel like that's fair. I mean, considering the fact that. It's a fucking hologram. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, considering the fact that the fees and shit add up to like 20 bucks anyway. Yeah, so that's like I'm talking lawn seats. Lawn. I'm not talking front row. But here's the thing. Even with lawn, shit. you got to figure when Foo Fighters just toured. Lawn yeah, was, was like, like 120 bucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, a Nirvana-esque show with all the, you know, quote unquote. Primary. It would have to depend who was opening or who the supporting acts were. It, yeah, if there was no supporting acts, sixty dollars. Supporting act is if Stone they Temple had pilots like, in their current incarnation. They wouldn't do that. They would get like mud honey or some shit like that. Yeah, dig up the meat puppets. Dig up the meat puppets. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're still. I don't even think still... they. I don't even think they would put Alice in Chains out there or even Pearl Jam. Really, no. no. No, actually, I think in that event, just out of respect, especially if those three guys actually did it, I'm pretty sure a lot of those bands would actually come together to be like more of a festival type supporting grunge scene as opposed to just a like the Melvins and yeah, because you figure Whitney Houston and talking about her, that's a Whitney Houston show. Like Nirvana wasn't the typical band to go out there and do a fucking you know stadium. They no. were more of that. Yeah, like, they only did one stadium tour and they hated it. Exactly. Yeah. So I think a lot of those other bands would come together. So then in that mm-hmm. regard, would you pay more money if you were even, even regardless of Alice Chains' current standing in, but Alice in Chains is there, Pearl Jam is there. Uh, if it was Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, if it was the real like in, in current incarnations of Alice in Chains and, Pearl Jam. and P- Pearl Jam and then the hologram Nirvana, Lawn. then we might be looking at like, honestly, like 100 bucks after fees. Probably like I would probably do a buck fifty after fees so would I. for the lawn even. Like, I agree. Because Pearl yeah. Jam is a yeah. hundred bucks probably or close to it in the lawn. Shit, even for like I, I mean, the amount that you could. Allison Chains is probably like thirty bucks in the lawn. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Allison Chains is probably the low hanging fruit in that whole tour. If oh, it were of course, to happen. yeah. I mean, it, it's not it's not because Allison Chains is bad or anything, but they their sound isn't as geared. Well, no, it's center. not only that, but they come around every oh, year, yeah. multiple yep. times a year. Like, it's almost like it's, like, polluting. And Pearl Jam was like that, if you notice that. They haven't yeah. been touring like they used to, and then Foo Fighters kind of took that spotlight, and now Alice in Chains I'm seeing way more recurring. Yeah. Like, I see, like, on Facebook especially, they're playing shows all over the world, and then I see, obviously, they're coming to Yeah, Philly. as a matter of fact, they're coming in August, I believe. Yeah. With, um, I feel like core. every year, it's yeah, just like, core. I hear about Alice in Chains coming in August. Huh? I feel like it's a every year I hear about yeah. Alice in Chains <laughs> coming in, like, August or yep. September. 
they're like the Billy Joel of the grunge scene at this moment. <laughs> Billy Joel stopped touring for years. Good for him. I guess Alice and Chains did too. Yeah, but there was different circumstances. <laughs> he just didn't kick. They didn't kick everybody out of the fucking band. <laughs> yeah, there were. <laughs> oh god, I don't know what to talk about that. I miss uh, Lane. Last thing we got in here in music news is uh, some sad news. Um, Megadeth, Dave Mustaine, uh, frontman for Megadeth, has been diagnosed with throat cancer. Um, the frontman announced his diagnosis on Twitter. Um, I've been diagnosed with throat cancer. It's clearly something to be respected and faced head on, but I faced obstacles before I'm working closely with my doctors and we've mapped out a treatment plan, which they feel is a 90% success rate. Treatment has already begun. Unfortunately, this requires that we cancel most shows this year. The 2019 mega cruise will happen and the band will be a part of it in some form. All up to date information will be at megadeth.com as we get it. Uh, Megadeth will be back on the road ASAP. Meanwhile, Kiko, David, Dirk, and I are in the studio working on a follow-up to Dystopia, which I can't wait for everyone to hear. I'm so thankful for my whole team, family, doctors, band members, trainers, and more. I'll keep everyone posted. See you soon. So, how does that make you feel now? You've been shit talking Dave Mustaine for oh, the past three fucking episodes. Dave Mustaine, I've been shit talking the idea of how they're releasing <laughs> compilations. But I even mentioned it when they were talking about recording that new album. I thought that was fucking cool because yeah. I respect when they're going to go out there and put out new music. And we also discussed listening to albums, you know, from already beloved bands. And regardless yep. of how good or bad it may or may not be, I'm still going to listen. I was just really upset about the compilation thing, but I always stated the fact that you can't deny that Dave Mustaine's a great, you know, musician. Yeah. Um, but that sucks. I mean, it's good that it's a 90% success rate. So obviously it's not super serious to the point where it's like crippling to the idea. Well, I mean, where he's... Alex Trebek just came over like even worse odds than that. Yeah. And that's the thing too. He's even mentioning even after the cancer aspect of it, he's talking already about his shows. He's talking already mm-hmm. about the mega cruise. He's already talking about the recordings that he's currently doing for the follow-up album after dystopia. Yeah. So, I mean, it's obviously positive thought to know that we're going to get a new album He's going to be fine and everything like that. Obviously, 90% isn't 100, but it's still strong enough to say, like, this is going to. Well, it's it's also like the mindset, too. Like, I'm not going to say, like, oh, your mind's more powerful than you think. But if you get in the mindset that I'm going to beat this, like, I'm going to overcome this. Yeah, mind over matter type shit. Yeah, mind over matter helps you. I yeah, mean, I, we wish Dave Mustaine a speedy recovery here at Rage Against the Mainstream. What's also cool is, too, with the whole Dave Mustaine thing, I mentioned this uh, previous week, not last week, it was like the week before, with them doing the reissues. Regardless, I mean, they're just three albums that I could really care less about, to be honest. Um, but there is a, a Led Zeppelin cover on there, apparently, that they did, which, you know, that's the one thing I do like when they do reissues, is the opportunity to hear something new and fresh, even if it's a cover. Yeah. And it's cool to think, like, when you hear like metal bands, you know, and then even when we talked about the Misfits and I'm going to bring them again, that certain band that did some covers of the Misfits, yeah. I'm not going to name their name. They're going to become like the Lord Voldemort of this podcast. <laughs> um, but like, it's cool when you hear about bands covering influential bands and you kind of get to see that some of these bands that you typically listen to and then find out like where they came from. Yeah. You know, and we'll talk about this later because we uh, did recommend the Robert Johnson documentary last week, Devil at the Crossroads. And it's cool to see, you know, here's a really almost unnamed artist music wise. Mm -hmm. I mean, it talked about his music wasn't really discovered until years after. Oh, yeah. He's pretty well known now, though. I kind of took quarrel with a lot of the people acting like nobody knows who the fuck he is. No, like, now you, it you is. you know music, you know who the hell he is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we'll get into that later because we'll discuss the documentary. Like he's probably but it's sold just... over a million albums at this point. Oh, of course. Easy. But it didn't, it didn't start like that because that's, again, where a lot of the bands I found out about, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, I'll let Connor talk more on, like, the grunge scene, but obviously, like, Tad and, like, the Melvins and things like that. Most people kind of, like, don't scratch the service. They listen to Nirvana. Oh, yeah, and Tad then has some, re- and the Melvins, of course. Course, yeah, you like, showed me Tad, Tad. I like Tad. Tad has some really, really. Tad's cool fucking shit. excellent, dude. Yeah, Tad's excellent. And like, but thinking about Megadeth, Metallica, and all those bands, I'm and like where they came my from. Suggestion of the week. Good for you, bud. <laughs> Don't you interrupt me again? Guess who um, it's gonna be? So, I want to hear. Obviously, I mean, everybody here kind of has a strong suit mm. in their genre, of course. Which, Bill, I mean, obviously you can go with like kind of like, I don't want to say butt rock, but like kind of like that whole, (laughs) 
bland of like metal, like leading up to like the Van Halen era, even prior yeah. to that with like Led Zeppelin. Connor, I know you're really familiar with Garage on War Influence. Talk, yeah, I mean, I want to hear obviously perspective of like genres that you're more so strong suited towards. Which Bill, I mean, obviously you can pick what you want in this because well, you, you're kind of like more you know a lot about a lot. But um, I'm gonna choose like the uh, like the '80s hair metal, you know, like generic. Well, I guess now it's considered classic rock, but um, a lot of this stuff stems from like um, like let's say I hate to keep saying it, but Van Halen, um, Van Halen was directly influenced by bands like Led Zeppelin and Cream, and they took that and went farther. Van Halen then sparked the whole '80s hair metal thing. Well, Van Halen even took that tradition farther to an extent. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they introduced. They introduced, they kind of like mixed like the Beatles almost with like Led Zeppelin. Yeah, that definitely would. Yeah, Be, that, and then like and and with other shit thrown in like Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. yeah, um, on the like with the guitar craziness, but exactly. Um, probably the biggest influence of Van, Van Halen, Halen really is like the first crazy guitar band that isn't that bluesy at all. Yeah, like they don't have that like. We also think about the bands they're influenced by, but their their guitar is bluesy at yeah. times. Like they, he needed to know the blues to do what he did. Exactly. Well, one of his, well, he, I've read that his three biggest influences were Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page, and Tony Iommi. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, he's like three incredible blues style players. Well, he's influenced by the first post blues school of rock guitar exactly. players. Exactly. He's not influenced by really the blues themselves. Mm-hmm. He's influenced by the first people who were influenced by the blues and took it to make something new. And you know, like the first two Van Halen albums, you could definitely hear those influences in their music. Oh yeah, like one hundred percent. Like if you listen to, I don't know, like Atomic Punk, for instance. Like you can definitely hear like a Black, Black Sabbath. Sabbath, exactly, yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, like pre- pretty much any of their songs, like you, you can you can pick out their influences within that. But like after the first two, first three Van Halen albums came out, there was other bands that started to copy them. They were almost like <gasps> almost like carbon copies of what Van Halen did because they laid down the groundwork for it. And then you started to have, you know. The poisons. The you think Def Leppard was the copy of Van Halen? No, Def Leppard. Um, more copy of like Judas Priest or something. Yeah, well, they were yeah. part of the whole British. new wave of British yeah. he- British heavy metal. Like you have to think. Um, I forget when the first uh, Def Leppard album came to America, but it was it, early eighties. Yeah, it was like extremely Late early eighties, maybe. Yeah, but I don't hear Judas Priest and Def Leppard. I don't hear that. You know, kind of straightforward heavy metal sound without the flame. Well, I mean, Def Leppard, Def Leppard were directly influenced by like the Rolling Stones. Yeah, they liked like the Rolling. They like like more rock and roll. They like like the Rolling Stones and like glam rock, like David Bowie and like, yeah, uh, Mott the Hoople and yeah. shit. Yeah, but then you can also take the influences and you can go different ways, like Guns and Roses, for instance, Slash and Izzy. Their their whole thing was to basically mock like Keith Richards and Ronnie Wood. Yeah, like you know, it's just a it's a way you interpret these influences and what you could do with them. Grunge. I was just thinking of this. A lot of people um talk about how like Credence was a big influence on grunge, and you can totally hear. I can always oh, yeah. hear a big Credence influence in nirvana and nirvana started off as a credence clearwater revival cover band really with i I was on on drums and chris novoselic on guitar and vocals he's the cover uh zeppelin too yeah yeah um ain't that something whatchamacallit uh and even the first band that had the grunge tag was called green river which was Mm -hmm. named after the green river killer and the Green River song by Coonan's Clearwater Revival. Yeah. And it's it's interesting, too, because um, you think of, like, a lot of, like, the blues musicians, because when I mentioned, like, the Robert Johnson thing briefly, I mean, just kind of his style of guitar, and they even mention it in the documentary where it's, if you heard it today, it's, like, not new and weird and strange. Yeah. But back then, like, slide guitar, 
you know, the different melodies he would yeah. produce almost sounding like two guitars simultaneously. It's really funny to think because a lot of these bands that you hear today, it's just when we mentioned earlier with Nirvana, it's so hard to come across something new, fresh, and yeah. not be able to say, this sounds like, because even when you mentioned Zeppelin, like mm-hmm. Greta Van Fleet gets all that shit because they sound like Zeppelin. Whether they can say that they're not influenced, which they definitely are, obviously, but... I'll take Wolf Mother over to Greta Van Fleet. Yeah, I actually would. Yeah, too, I would to agree. That's my thing. I, I, yeah, there's a, like it's already the post that derivative, yeah, like snapshot of rock sound has already been done. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Wolf Mother to me did it better. And I think that's um does it better. Like my more strong suited is like after kind of like that generic wave of like the Big Four and Thrash. Um, you know, typically like how Venom inspired Slayer, Slayer inspired like kind of bands like Cannibal Corpse and that whole 90s Tampa scene with the death metal sound. And then that mm-hmm. death metal sound influenced all those like metalcore, deathcore bands like Suicide Silence and what's more mainstream today. But it's mm-hmm. funny because when you look back and especially like when I talk about like that extreme metal genre, for instance, like black metal. Yeah. Venom had an album called Black Metal, but you could compare their sound to the idea of like Iron Maiden meets Slayer. Yeah, and, like exactly. a newer era. It wasn't like your standard black metal that you hear today. Like Bathory kind of influenced that to mm. become like Mayhem. You know, eventually Vars goes out and does Burzum and all that sound. And the same thing with Thrash. Thrash evolved, and then you got like those like crossover punk bands like that you have today, Municipal Waste, like DRI, um, all those other bands that came out and made more of like a hard edge thrash band and like all the death metal bands that spawned as a result. But that's why I like that genre because there's never a point in time where I'll listen to a death metal band like, oh, wow. For instance, when I mentioned like, oh, two mold sounds like Orbit Angel. Like I don't yeah. get that and try to compare so much because death metal, it's weird because you kind of have to have that sound to hear a lot of the musicianship qualities and also with the vocals, a lot of people, it's really tough to get into, but mm-hmm. I never once hear a band and say, wow, this is repetitive. It sounds just like da, 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 da. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like, it's like I just said, you, it's all about how you interpret these influences. Yeah. I mean, it's like we said uh, a few podcasts ago, like when Slayer came out, it was the craziest shit like ever. Yeah. And it's funny too, because we talk about time machines mm-hmm. and going back again to this Robert Johnson documentary when they're talking about the devil's music. Imagine if Slayer was trying to be an up and coming band shit. in the fucking 30s and 40s. <laughs> Are you kidding me? They would be burned at the stake like witches in the fucking uh, 1800s. Dropped dude. The, army would, the army would have been called. God out. hates us all. <laughs> They would have been more hated than the communists. Holy fuck. <laughs> like, talk, about leg- talk about Elvis's legendary pelvis, dude. Oh, my God. That would have been the oh, least fuck. of their worries. Holy <laughs> fuck, dude. Get that pivoting pelvis away from me. <laughs> Grease reference. You would have had Winston Churchill like looking at it on TV being like, what the hell is going on in America? Yeah, like even going back to like Nirvana. And how they were Creedence Clearwater Revival cover band, and the band was different. It's almost like they pulled their influences, and they turned it into something completely different. And I mean, if you think about at the time where grunge had started to come out, it was um, it was in a time period of the hair metal and you know like the now quote unquote butt rock. Yeah, and it was just they, it was just something different. Well, yeah, I mean, Nirvana were the key inspiration for that new genre and style of music. <laughs> like, they- well, it's just interesting because when you talk about bands like that in the '90s, when we talked about like the Beatles, for instance, like how it was able to kind of change a scene. The interesting factor is like when that came out, like we can very easily say Nirvana, grunge, yeah, you know, Stone yeah, Temple Pilots, you, Alice in if Chains. You think about artists that typify genres. It's going to, like, if you think rock and roll, you're probably going to think the Beatles. If you think, like, metal, you're probably going to think we all know who. Yeah, the name Um, that should not be spoken. Fucking, if you think grunge, you're going to think Nirvana. I think punk, most people say Sex Pistols. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's crazy that, like, the whole area of Seattle was, like, this fucking, like, breeding ground for this type of music. It's almost like they all had the same influences they all pulled from the same thing, but yet they all made different type of music. Well, Seattle was perfect for it back then because it was like a big, small town with nothing mm-hmm. else near it. 
So everyone gravitated towards Seattle, basically in the whole state. Like you had Nirvana from 90 miles away. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a good. Well, they're like from us. Aberdeen, right? Yeah. That's yeah. like us driving to New York City to go to practice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I mean, I like, mean, it was easier. But like, I mean, as far like as like New York City, you have those those core bands of like the grunge era, you know, Alice in Chains, uh, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Pearl Jam. They all had, like, if you listen to interviews or read interviews, they all claim the same influences. Roughly, yeah. Roughly, but it all, yeah. yeah I but, mean, Kurt Cobain's were kind of far out. Yeah, he had some abstract shit yeah. that was like, you know Yeah, I mean? but for the, most, for the most part, they were all pretty similar. But then that's the cool I thing to think though. about. Like, Eddie Vedder really liked, like, The Who, whereas I haven't heard, like, any of the other grunge guys really, like, I know Kurt Cobain, like, didn't like The Who. Yeah. He, like, made fun of Pete Townsend. Well, it's funny, because um, even with the idea, like, with the Unplugged, I didn't know who the fuck Lead Belly was until, obviously, I heard that cover. Yeah. And that's the interesting factor. You get to kind of see some of these bands come out there, and it's not your stereotypical, like, oh, we were... Because even Kurt was really into the punk scene. Well, and he it even was actually introduced shallow. to Lead Belly by the grunge scene. Mark Lanigan yeah. covered that. Mark Lanigan from the Screaming Trees covered that song on his 1990 solo album, The Winding Sheet. Mm. And... uh I think Kurt played on that album, but not that song. And they had a band together for a short time called The Jury. Um, hmm. Ain't it a shame on the Nirvana box set? That was re- that was that band. Oh, really? That recording, oh, yeah. Talking um, about the with the lights out mm-hmm. uh, compilation. Yeah. Oh wow. So, yeah, I mean, to an extent, he was like, he had his friends in in the scene, and he, yeah, but he, yeah. I mean, they, I think they all like different stuff that like, I think like if you ask like Jerry Cantrell, he probably liked when he was a kid, like Van Halen and yeah. and probably like, uh, what the hell is the guy's the first guitar player from Ozzy's solo career? Randy Rhodes. Randy Rhodes. Yeah. He's yeah. probably a big Randy Rhodes fan. Um, he's a giant, he was a giant Kiss fan and a giant Van Halen fan. There you go. That mm-hmm. makes perfect sense. Like, and then like well, yeah, the who, Pearl Jam. Yeah. Yeah. The who was like. Eddie Vedder also liked like California stuff. Like Eddie Vedder was in a Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, oh, cover band, <laughs> yeah, in the eighties, like before like Under the Bridge, surfer, like yeah, yeah. before uh, Mother Love Bone, obviously. Yeah, but it's like I'm Called saying Bad too. Radio. Yeah, but that it's like I was Better saying man about the influence thing. Like they all interpreted those influences to create something different. But if you trace it back, it's all technically like the same shit. It's but just how they interpret it to make something different. That's what the coolest thing about music is as a whole, because everybody will have like the specific say to like this band probably wouldn't be here because of this band right but then some of these bands and like when you're mentioned with especially kurt and he had such an abstract like variety of fucking influences Mm -hmm. where a lot of guys also too like you have some people that they're influenced by that you wouldn't think but that's like that small ingredient to really produce a unique sound and that's why the 90s scene was so there hasn't been anything since Like that type of wave of music to really produce this total transition. I mean, obviously, like EDM and like house music, that whole sound took a whole different way. But that was as a result Mm -hmm. of technology and people able to make their own music quality through beats and everything like that. But you think everybody's got these like weird influences. Like you hear somebody that you would never think that loves this band and you're like, whoa, that's kind of fucking weird. Yeah, exactly. You know? Scenes aren't as much of a thing anymore. No, it's People not. People kind of just do their own thing. Yeah. Well, with the advancements in social media and technology and everything, you kind of don't need to have a scene anymore to do anything. No, and I feel yeah. like that's gravely affecting the music industry as a whole. Yeah. But, I mean, that's rather here nor there. But that's what the benefit about like live shows is at the same time, because then you see the people show up and you can understand like who's really like a part of it type thing. You yeah. know what I mean? Um you know, obviously the genres I'm more affiliated with, like you go to a, you know, any metal show, you can clearly see like, who's like a metal head. You can clearly yeah, see exactly. who's like a punk kid when you go to a punk show. I mean, things like that. Um, but again, when it goes back to like the influence thing, who would you say, I'll start with you, Bill. You had to pick one band that you would say, okay, if it wasn't for this band, Van Halen wouldn't be here. Who would be the band? That's just hard. one just it it can be it and it doesn't have to be the right or wrong answer just like one specific band well i mean i don't want to say it because we're going to review the movie but 
Robert Johnson influenced Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page. So you're and going to probably Tony Root. Iommi. Yeah. Yeah. Which influenced Eddie Van Halen to create, you know, the music of Van Halen. So I guess in, in a way, Robert Johnson like indirectly influenced Van Halen in a way. If yeah. that makes sense. You no, know what I mean? That makes total sense. For Nirvana, I feel like it's gotta be the Pixies. So if it wasn't for the Pixies, there would be no Nirvana. Yeah. I could agree. I can agree with that. What about you? What am I talking about? Any band you want. I was going to say Slayer. Let, let's say Slayer, for instance. Slayer? Who do you think is the... Who do you think is the director, indirect, total influence leading up to what Slayer So is? I'm not going to go to the complete route to say, you know, obviously, like, Robert Johnson spawned, like, blues guitarist to spawn, Clapton to spawn, Zeppelin to spawn, you know, the hair metal scene. To, mm. But I'm just going to go just face value black sabbath yeah if it's not for the sabbath self-title which evolved obviously to paranoid and volume four mastery Mm -hmm. out like slayer took that and is also judas priest but i'm gonna say more sabbath because sabbath had that more doom borderline satanic type vibe in like their lyrics and like their style to like produce sound like slayer and slayer obviously paved the absolute way for like the 90s death metal bands and everything Mm -hmm. else of like around it I feel like taking Robert Johnson out of the equation totally. I feel like there's only a select few bands that almost like a family tree type thing or like checking like the lineage or something. Yeah. I feel like every piece of music that you hear can be traced back to Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, the Rolling Stones, and the Beatles. Every bit of music. I would, for the most part, agree with that. Maybe not rap. And you well, could also I, say for the pop sound, I mean, that whole Motown scene, that's yeah. responsible for almost like every R&B artist you hear today, yeah. every like performing artist, mm-hmm. so to speak, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I just meant in like rock music. But yeah. yeah. Just a, yeah. Uh, I think Motown's a huge, huge influence on everything. Yeah. I mean, even to the point of like, even in the rock and roll, really, yeah. like you think about it, like the Motown guys and... You know, you had the old like blues players like Chuck Berry and all those other guys, oh, yeah. you know, directly influenced rock music. But like I said, I feel like there's those select bands that if you were to listen to anything, it could be traced back to, you know, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath. It's almost like Beatles. Robert Johnson was a seed and those bands are like the roots that built the foundation. To yeah, exactly. Became. I mean, yeah. maybe maybe he sold what band his would you soul? trace Depeche Mode back to? Um. I don't know. I mean, I guess the Beatles. Probably the Beatles, I yeah. I guess there would be no Depeche Mode without the Beatles, but there might be. I don't know. I don't think, yeah. Well, who who were some of their influences? Do you know? Probably like fucking Kraftwerk and Bowie. I don't know. Joy Division. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it could be. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, maybe. I don't know. I'm guessing. I mean, maybe it could have been directly influenced by, yeah, probably the Beatles. I mean, at the end of the day, dude, the Beatles were very, very influential, even though we don't like them, but we do agree and respect. They formed a pure influence band called No Romance in China in 1977. So they were like post-punk fans, basically. Yeah. The Cure probably is direct influenced by the Beatles. Yeah. Joy Division. Mm Mm-hmm. That whole, yeah. I mean, and it's funny because, like, there are a lot of scenes when we talk about that that didn't go really anywhere. Now it's just they're kind of, like, stuck there to kind of be representative of that scene. Yeah. You know? And it's when you talk about modern music, I mean, every rapper, especially today, will be able to trace back and, like, give it up to, like, the generic greats and saying, like, Biggie, Tupac, Nas, Jay-Z, things of that nature. And that's the sad part because then they took that almost pop vibe to be like, oh, let me produce a radio hit, which when we go back to Motown, like just producing hit songs. Yeah. It's like they almost take like the underground aspect of some of these big artists before they became solid to recognize like the quality of like talent that they had and then turned around and was like, how am I going to make money off this? Well, even like um, like Dr. Dre, when he was making the beats and shit yeah. for NWA and everything, that was all Motown inspired. Exactly. Every bit of it. Yeah. And that's, again, when we talked about like with the Beatles, like all these producers then become 
the idea of like where we're going to make investments. And the sad thing is today, it's not even so much talent. It's like credibility. Yeah. Like who can we back up here that can sound decent enough, even with auto tune, put them out there and they're going to be like a figure. Yeah. You know, because there are some rappers and especially like that's become more of the prominent genre of this date. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some rappers out there that aren't getting enough recognition because they're not so much like acceptable. You yeah. know, like I mentioned a couple rappers when we did the the whole, you know, a couple weeks ago on that whole topic, especially where you don't really hear about them and you see them perform with these like other inspirational rappers. But you don't hear about them because they're not like your typical Migos and typical Cardi B and like yep. the in your face, catchy hooks to just blast in the radio and like just drive around and listen to. Mm-hmm. And that's what the problem is because a lot of these bands, they influence to become these artists, but there's a lot of genres that just have stayed stagnant. And then when people try to, you know, dig it back up, it doesn't go anywhere. It's all like with times. Yeah. You know? Well, that says it there. Yeah, I guess. Um, last week. Oh, wait, uh, real quick. I want to talk about Robert Smith grew up listening to the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and Pink Floyd because that's what got played in the house. But when he first saw the Stranglers, he thought this is it. And then he said he saw the Buzzcocks the following week and thought Buzzcocks this is were definitely super influential it. Too. Mm-hmm. Like that was Joy Division's influence. Yeah. Buzzcocks and Sex Pistols. So he was almost like against his will like it sounds like influenced by the Beatles <laughs> yeah and the Rolling Stones yeah alright <laughs> but um alright well um a couple weeks ago we uh suggested for you guys to check out Remastered Devil at the Crossroads for those of you who haven't watched it it was alright it was a little short yeah, it, it it was a quick forty eight minute. It could have been like almost like an episode on like a TV show that like looks at musical artists. Yeah, exactly. It it was about the blues legend or now legend Robert Johnson. Um, kind of no briefly did, explaining the myth of the crossroads and how he became such a. People well, say that he sold his soul to the devil to become like the greatest guitar player. Yeah, they said the he world. was miserable at guitar, laugh came back a year later and all of a sudden he was like, yeah. blowing people's minds. I feel like motherfucker probably just practiced. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean it was a year. It's not like he yeah. left and came back a week later and all of a sudden he's, he's fucking Yeah, you know, exactly. A lot of up you. there, you know. <laughs> like they say that about uh Dimebag Daryl. Like they said in like the summer of like nineteen eighty four or something, he disappeared for six months and yeah. he came back and he was like the greatest guitar player ever. And it was weird because the way it was shot, there was like obviously not a lot of footage back then, so it was just well, yeah, you know, we're interviews. About the 19- 10s and 20s yeah dude there was only like interviews with keith richards eric clapton and then various blues uh artists as well as his grandsons and briefly there's like an old interview with his son and he explains a story where he saw robert one time when he tried to like give money to him or something um but it's it's I think it was like a reach. I think the myth thing is there just for, you know, almost novelty. Yeah, Yeah. just to kind of like make it more exciting to think about. I mean, that's how I found out about Robert Johnson was because of that myth thing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like this could have been better if there was more. There was more substance, you know, I mean, I think it was because it was so diluted down through the generations and whatnot. And then back then there wasn't really any way to keep any kind of records of anything. I just feel like there wasn't enough to actually make something. Yeah. What I much rather would have preferred is a complete reimagining of the story and actually have yeah, like actors like how I always describe yeah, like do a whole story, like have him leave, go to the crossroads, show the whole yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Certain stories like this need to be portrayed in that sense so you can get like more of an entertaining value. Because dude, when it was over, I was like, oh, okay, okay. it was like a zoom out from like that graveyard. Yeah, it was was like, like, uh, all right, okay. Well, um, going to sleep now. <laughs> let's give it our scores from one to ten. What would you give it, Steve? I'm gonna give it a five. A five? Yeah. Because it wasn't like shit. It just wasn't. Yeah, I was thinking five point eight. Yeah, it I wasn't was horrible. It was just yeah. like I knew most of it and everything they talked about. I was already familiar with. The only thing that was cool about it, um, was the idea where you got to see certain artists at the end kind of like covering some of his songs. Plus, yeah. the one thing where they described that his music wasn't really known until like 1938, that guy tried to go find him to yeah, play that to find out Carnegie that Hall. 
and he couldn't find him, so he put on an old record and just played his music. And after that, it kind of spawned like that hipster esque thing where people were going to buy his records. Yeah. So that that was interesting to know that his music would have almost been buried if it wasn't for like an opportunity for exposure. Yeah, that guy. And then obviously, I, yeah. I give. I mean, I I hate to give bad reviews on stuff because it's you know it's people's art or whatever, but. Honestly, I feel like it's like a four and a half. Okay. Four and a half easy. I just feel like there wasn't enough to actually make it something. It probably should have just stayed full core. The story's cool. Yeah, the, yeah that's the, what I mean. Uh, the story cool. just wasn't. But it was almost like a like a like an like episode like, on a random like a pop up book, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, so like I feel like drawings of things happening. Just, I yeah. feel like you could have learned the same exact thing from, from like VH1's pop up video <laughs> on Podcast. a fucking still picture of one of his songs. Yeah. Podcast isn't on Netflix. We can talk all the shit we want. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I just feel like if they had a still picture of him playing Hellhounds on my tit, Hellhounds, hell, hell uh, hell, <laughs> Hellhounds on my tail. Yeah, Hellhounds on my tail. For shit like that. And just like, like, just the bubbles like popping up with like facts and shit. Yeah, I, I feel like you could have gotten more enjoyment out of that yeah. than yeah. sitting 48 minutes watching. Exactly. This movie. Yeah, you could have watched like a 15 minute, like, you could have watched YouTube a five video. minute anything. And I mean, it's not like they taught us anything new and they flat out said, we don't have anything. Yeah. It, they should have just left it the way it's it funny was too, because like I said, being the timeline, the forty-eight minutes, I didn't realize that. So I was literally laying there and I was getting very ready to bored. watch a movie. It's getting yeah. very <laughs> fucking bored. But it was funny because I thought about going to check the time on it, and then that's when it was like over, and I'm like, no, like I th- I swore I had like a half hour left, but then like they would keep telling something and it would feel like it'd be the end. I'm like, what more could they possibly fucking exactly. talk about, dude? Honestly, that's how I felt. I'm sitting there, I'm like, fuck, we suggested this. Yeah. Like we had to watch this fucking movie. <laughs> and then when it was 48 minutes, I was like, thank God. I'm glad I chose that one first because. Uh, Quick. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What are you, Connor, what are you going to say? Here? Next week's recommendation, Quincy, was a lot better. Yeah, we'll talk about we'll, that. We'll talk next about week. that next week. Though. Um, so what do you say? Five and a half, Connor? I said 5.8. 5.8. Four and a half. Five, so 10, 8. That gives it us at. Uh, 15.3. It's like 5.3, I 15. think. 15.3. We are way lower than everyone else. IMDb gave this so a 7.1. Oh, you give it 5? I give nah, it 5.8. Nah, 5, so 10.8 plus your 4. If it's 15.3, then yeah. it's 5.1. Yeah. Yeah. IMDb gave this a 7.1, and Ready Steady Cut gave us a 4 out of 5. Yeah, I thought people were a little overly nice to it. Um, the, the, review. the one review we have is from Andrew Punter from Ready Steady Cut. A nicely told story about Robert Johnson, a man you probably never heard of, but you probably should have. Devil at the Crossroads is one of the stronger entries in the already solid remastered series. I would like to watch some of the other ones. Yeah. But I wouldn't. You really wouldn't? Yeah. I, 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 I honestly sucked kind of. Well, I feel <laughs> like this sucked because there wasn't enough to actually uh, make it. Really? I think that's they were the like thing. Pulling. If you had never heard of this guy and like even the myth I, yeah, I, I've listened to Robert Johnson. A that's lot, what I'm saying. So, you already knew yeah. about it prior going in. Same with me. And that's what I'm mm-hmm. saying to him. I mean, when you watch it, it's kind of stuff you already know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I think for You're somebody who's anything. never even heard of this, but then it's different. Cause remember when we watched uh higher gun yeah. and you got to learn so many things that you never knew this like really didn't evolve. Like you literally only had interviews with Eric Clapton and Keith Richards, which I was already familiar with. They fucking were influenced by him. Exactly. I mean, cream had but, the cover of crossroads. That's how I found out about Robert Johnson. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. Well, like Connor said, our group suggestion for this week <laughs> is the Netflix original movie Quincy. It is the documentary about Quincy Jones. Um, I will tell you now, listeners of this podcast, Quincy Jones definitely has done way more music than just thriller and bad and off the wall. Watch the movie and find out for yourself. You'd be surprised. Yeah. All right. Now, um, Let's get into our personal suggestions this week. Um, I guess I'll start off. Um, my personal suggestion for this week is the 1989 album from Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machine. And the standout track that I would like to throw out there is Terrible Lie. A terrible Lie. Like, I think Terrible Lie is bad as shit. Oh, yeah. Like, the, oh, the, that whole album. Yeah, that whole album's shit. really yeah. good. 
But terrible lie. You put that. You their put only that album song too out. that is like bad as shit like that too. Yeah, it almost could have been like a metal album if they instrumentalized it differently. Yeah, like if they and, would have switched out some synths for guitars. But yeah, I um, mean that there was some guitars on it, but it yeah. definitely wasn't guitar heavy. But then again, it was a totally different genre. Is that yeah, no. that industrial? Yeah, I'm not that saying it should have been something. metal. I'm yeah. saying it could have been. Yeah, but um, like downward spot. I mean, broke the broken EP is bad like that, mm-hmm. but downward spiral is a lot chiller yeah a lot more chill but um, yeah um uh pretty hate machine by nine inch nails that's my suggestion for this week that album. I'm, I'm suggesting tad the song leafy incline yeah. that song is a banger check it out just a song yeah it's okay. fucking ridiculous it uh, was produced by jay mascus from dinosaur jr oh wow i like dinosaur jr too mm-hmm. all right my recommendation this week um, is the grindcore band they're called ground they're out of new jersey um haven't seen in a while but i was really good friends with the drummer zach they actually released a new album i didn't even know this it was back on april 22nd of this year the album is called more in innocence again the band is ground and they're uh they're local out of jersey awesome yeah those are all pretty good suggestions. Hopefully you guys actually do listen to our suggestions because I feel like we do give out pretty good ones. Yeah. Um, that's it for this week. This wraps it up. Uh, this is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off. I'm Bill. Connor. Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for listening.